If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it uh, to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And really now, uh, we're entering into the Christmas season. Um, Even after the service, as we'll be decorating, uh, what we're kind of seeing right now in our our culture, church culture and the culture outside of that, is we're we're seeing that Christmas commercials are already being played. Um, Some stations and and people are playing the Christmas songs, which is way too soon, in my opinion. You need to wait until after uh, uh, Thanksgiving, but to each his own. Um, and trees are going to be decorated, and lights are going to be put on houses. Some of that's already happening, and major scenes will be set up. And so this is kind of the season that we're getting into. And, and after today, the next four weeks, we'll be beginning a new series on Advent, which will be about four weeks long. And what we're going to focus on in that series is the coming of Jesus. And then we're going to conclude with the joy of the second coming of Jesus. And in this, we'll discuss four things. Our need for a Savior, the promise of a Savior, the arrival of our Savior, and then the return of our Savior. But I really think within this, within this season, with all the lights and the food and the family and the gifts and the chaos, what really tends to get lost is who Jesus really is. Because we, we, we tend to take that kind of Christmas view of Jesus and who he is. And, and so because of this season, we kind of think just about baby Jesus. We don't think about a bloody, naked, on the cross, R-rated version Jesus. Okay? We just tend to not. And, and, and I know this to be true, especially think of how you respond to kids. is not the same way you respond to adults. Right, And so when we see kids, we're like, oh, look at that little baby. Look at that cute little thing. I want to pinch his cheeks. I want... None of you walk up to an adult and do that, or at least I hope you don't. <laughs> and so what, what tends to happen in this season as we just get all the decorations and we feel all warm and fuzzy inside and we get our eggnog latte and we go play our Christmas Jesus songs, we, we tend to not think rightly about Jesus, that he came as a baby in a humble state but that he is also the one who grew up into a man to take the place that we deserved. And so what I want to do in this standalone message this morning, my hope is that this will kind of launch us rightly into celebrating and learning and growing in what Jesus has come and what he will return to do. And so over the next four weeks after today, what we're, what we're going to talk about is Jesus. What we're talking about today is Jesus. And now for some of you, that may not be a surprise. Your, your response is probably, Pastor, we always talk about Jesus. We're always talking about Jesus. And for some of you, you're going, wait, that is kind of a surprise because that, that kind of causes you to ask, Pastor, are you ever going to talk about anything other than Jesus? So let me answer that for you. No, I'm not. And, and what we're always going, as we're always going to talk about Jesus, anything I talk about, I want you to understand, will either point back to Jesus or it will show us that Jesus is the point. You understand that? And so in the next, in this text that we're going to read out of 1 Timothy, Paul is doing the same thing. He's addressing a young pastor and a, and a spiritually young congregation, and he's pointing them to Jesus. And so in this chapter, Paul is dealing with false ideas of who Jesus is and false messages about the gospel. And so here, Paul is looking 
to set the record straight about who Jesus is, about what he has done. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that Jesus came to save sinners, that we would believe in him for eternal life where God would get the glory. And so if you're taking notes, that's your fill-ins for this morning. That's kind of our sentence out of our text is that Jesus came to save sinners, that we would believe in him for eternal life where God would get the glory. And so we're going to read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judges me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul starts out this section by thanking God for giving him strength, for judging him faithful, and for appointing him, for appointing Paul to God's service. But then Paul continues in humility, not with pride, not as a puffed up leader of look at how great I am, look at how well I lead. Remember, in, in the book of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, Paul's writing to this young pastor, but he's also writing to encourage the church. And so Paul, what he does here is he doesn't state, here are all, here are all my leadership credentials. He brings up his own past instead, which in our culture is a big no-no. You don't talk about what, what's happened in your life, where you've been, what you've walked through. No, no, no. You, you, you leave that in the past. You bury it, and you try to walk in a better life. But as Paul does this, as he brings up his own past, what he knows is that in Christ, our, our past may explain us, but it no longer defines us. And so if you don't know much about Paul, then this is important to understand because He was not one of those guys who just missed a few Sundays or tried volunteering and it didn't work out, so he bailed, or or he started one of those gossip circles in the church parking lot, okay? So Paul didn't have kind of one of those spiritual misdemeanors. He, He describes himself in the text as previously being a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, or or a violent opponent. And so this is true if we look in the New Testament, because when we first hear about Paul, He's consenting to the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, and also in chapter 8, verse 1, we see that it says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, stoned Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. Now remember, Paul was not always named Paul. He was first named Saul, and God changed his name to Paul. And so when we talk about Saul, we're talking about Paul before his conversion. And so then we see 
uh, Saul later making havoc of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then he continued to persecute Christians, even to Damascus, not, not to his own town where he was, but further stretching. We see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. It says, but, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then also in Acts 22.4, we see that the persecuting even continued for Saul to the point of imprisonment and death. Later, Paul explains when he was Saul how his focus was, what his attack was. In Acts 22.4, he says, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So his goal was to destroy the church. So see, when, when, we, often talk about, when we often talk about Paul, we, we don't always remember Saul, uh, the man he once was before Christ. And, and so I want you to kind of understand who Saul was before he became Paul. This was a man whose goal, his entire focus, his entire vocation was focused on destroying the church. That he was indeed, as he explains, the the foremost of sinners, the chief of sinners. And so also if we go back to Acts chapter 9, looking at verses 3 through 6, we see the radical conversion of Paul. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And so here's Saul planning to just kill the church because of their belief in Jesus, because really he believed the only way was through Judaism and that he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then Paul enters Damascus blind, blind from seeing the light of Jesus. And there in Damascus, he meets a man named Ananias. And Ananias, by vision of the Lord, calling Ananias to go and meet with Paul. He prays for Paul, and Paul is converted. And so it's no longer Saul, but then it's Paul. His sight is regained. And the next section of Acts 9, if we were to continue to read on, we see that Paul then goes from being Saul and killing the church and wanting to destroy the church, and then he steps into the synagogues to preach Jesus. This is a radical conversion here. And, and so, really, there's a, there's a change of identity there. There's a switch for Saul that his past explains him, but it no longer defines him. See, now, maybe for you, your previous and primary identity was, I'm, I'm an American. This is my race. This is my political stance. This is, this is my culture this is my gender, this is my family, this is our history, these are our traditions, and that may explain you, but that no longer defines you. 
because now your primary identity is in Christ. And so we must never forget the simple and profound truth that Paul writes that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. And so I I want you to remember when we talk about the fact that Jesus came to save sinners, we, we should often think about how God's great grace saved us from our sin which is really unpopular to do because in our culture, like I said, the things that you do in in the past are not things that you talk about. It's not things that we bring up. It's not things we, we, we work through, but we kind of push it off and bury it down. But yet there's a power and there's a truth when we unpack our past. That we should often think about how God's great grace saved us from our sin. And so really, most Christians, when they think about their relationship with God, they're first thinking about their conduct and their works. And then second, they think about their identity in Christ. So when we step into a relationship with God like this, viewing who he is based on what we do, we set ourselves up for failure. Because our relationship is not based on conduct and works. It's based on and rooted in an identity in Christ, saturated by grace. And so life in Christ is not based upon who you think you are. It's based upon who God says you are. It's not based upon who you think you are. It's based upon who God says you are. And so when Jesus went to the cross, like we talked about a little bit last week, it it wasn't because you are awesome, but rather because you weren't awesome. And, And so the cross was about covering all of your sin. So then on the cross, all of the death, all of the shame, and all of the condemnation that we deserve went to Jesus. And all of the forgiveness, all of the love, and all of the grace that Jesus rightly has as the sinless Son of God comes to us. And so let me just just inform you what Scripture is clear on. There is no sin too great and no crime so wicked that cannot be forgiven by the grace of God. And so it's not about your attempt at righteousness. It's not about your attempt of being awesome. It's about you choosing to believe in Jesus and rest in his righteousness. And so often what I'll try to bring up from time to time and just copy and paste it from one message to another is I don't know what enslaves you, but whatever has mastered you, whatever has ruled over you, Jesus has come to free you. Jesus has come to this earth, not not to remain as a little baby, but to grow into a man that would take on all you've ever done and all you will ever do, that by the grace of God, you could walk with him in a brand new life. And so the conversion of Paul that we see serves as an example that no matter who you are or what you've done, you can be saved. This is Paul's point in bringing it up. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And, and just so you know, that is that I am the worst of them. That, that's not just for you. That's for all of us. And so then it was Paul who later wrote about this to the Roman people in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So then Paul gives them some application here. 
He's saying, here's what it looks like to be a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus. That first you need to confess with your mouth. That you would make a public statement that Jesus is Lord over your life, that you will choose to follow him, and that also that you would believe. That you would have faith that Jesus was raised up by God because death could not hold him. And that finally you would be saved through this. And when we are saved, we then have a changed heart, which carries into a changed life. See, I always read this verse in the mindset of, of kind of the altar call setting. The, the worship band is playing, the, the preacher gives the, the invitation to come up, and, and from that point, someone says, I, I believe Jesus is Lord. And so what that, that's not wrong, but what that tends to do for us wrongly is, is it, it kind of focuses the church on, well, how can we make the altar call setting fit us every single week? And we don't bring the gospel into other settings where it's necessary. And I'll never forget the moment where uh, Romans 10, 9 really switched in my understanding in a, in a right way was when there was a man, a young man who I was discipling, and we went to uh, the college over in Mount Vernon to go and, and serve the other people. And, and uh, the leader there who we were working with um, invited anybody to stand up uh, while uh, everyone was eating dinner. And we had brought dinner to serve to these young college students while we were doing college ministry. And one of the things that we um, then were invited with this group to do is stand up and share a testimony of whatever God may be stirring in our lives. And, and this young man that I was working with and discipling was not yet a believer. He came to our, our little college group, and uh, during a worship time, I've never done this before, nor do I really believe that God, although God works in many ways, I, I don't think God will have me do this again, but um, during worship, while the band was playing, um, during conversation with him about who Jesus is, I just literally walked on stage, grabbed my Bible, and I said, I want you to have this, and I want you to know Jesus. Go read, go read the book of John. And so over the next couple months, he just began to really read the word, just suck in the word. And as we were invited to that group, and, and that we were invited to share a testimony, this young man got up, and he said, my life is completely different. I, uh, I really struggled with depression. Um, I, I wanted to kill myself, um, and, and I, I drank myself too near wanting to die. Um, I was sexually abused as a young boy. I've never been able to trust men. Um, and I'm in this college group where I'm seeing my peers as these men who follow God, and I'm getting to a point where I can trust them um, and, and they're just different because they're trusting in Jesus, which doesn't always make sense to me, but I'm learning that that makes a lot of sense. And then he quoted Romans 10, 9. And he said, I just, I just want to stand before you, and I, I, I just have to tell you that I, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I believe through that that I'm saved. I, there was no music there was, there was no uh, pastor prepping him. Um, I, I think often both the leader and I thought someone was going to share a testimony of here's a little prayer that got answered. 
Um, you know, here's a little neat story. Here's something I read on Facebook. Here's, you know, here's my, my little testimony. We did not think there was going to be conversion of someone embracing that Jesus came to save sinners. And so this began in a, a changed heart and, and that carried into a changed life. And so you see, when we choose to surrender and confess our old lives, Christ then enters our lives. So what can begin to shape and mold us is Christ. And so your past may explain you. Those things may explain some of the things that you've walked into now, but they do not define you. They do not define you. The depression that you've struggled with, the sin that you feel has to be kept hidden, it it doesn't define you. And so receiving Jesus really means that when Jesus offers himself to you, you surrender yourself to take up life in Christ. And so how that works out is, is that as he comes to you as leader, you surrender your own leadership. As he comes to you as counselor, you, you welcome his counsel. As he comes to you as authority, you welcome his authority. And as he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule over your life. Because receiving Jesus isn't a coexistence of your own life and a a little life in Christ. It's a daily renewal and laying down of our own ways for his. So it's our ideals and our plans surrendered for his. And so Paul really points us to the fact that the grace of God has come through Jesus. So he points it to the gospel message of God's redemptive work in Jesus. And so it's by this grace that we are changed and we're called to walk into a new life. And remember that Paul was moved to respond to the grace of the Lord. In verse 17 that we read, he said, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So who who gets the glory for the cross, for the resurrection of Jesus? It's God. Which really brings up a big question, is the cross for us or is the cross for God? And we don't have time to unpack that a whole bunch, but there's a lot in there to realize that, that it pleased the Father to pierce the Son to redeem you. So out of that, we should respond to the grace of God in the same way that Paul is doing. Thanking God by being surrendered to the gospel of Jesus and praising God for growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And see, in this, Paul is making the point that God gets the glory for his story. That God gets the glory for his story. And so God can take our mess and turn it into his message. And if you still don't believe me, go read the book of Acts and learn a little bit about Saul. Because then you'll see that a lot of what we talk about as we talk about Jesus, one of the authors that we continue to bring, that I continue to bring up, is Paul. Look at the mighty ways that God used him. Look at the ways that that God is getting the glory for Saul's story, for Paul's story. And so I think often for us, we, why we don't think this way is, is we're bothered enough by our sin to deny it and to really kind of cower in it and to feel numb in it. But often we're not so bothered by it 
that we would seek God for saving from it. So remember, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. There's another man that is a great example of this, and and his name is John Newton. And John was a, a wild, drunken sailor. In fact, his language was so foul that his own captain, hardly a model of holiness, rebuked him because he was so foul. And he was often put in irons and whipped for his rebellion. He became a slave trader and, and falling even further into sin, he just continued to be rebellious. And several times he barely escaped death. And then finally, after nearly dying in a severe storm, at sea, he turned to God and was saved. And even so, he, he, he remained trying to work things out. He, he still worked in slave trading, still uh, struggled in his, his cursing and, and trying to work out his salvation. But eventually, by God's grace, he became a pastor. And God used him in mighty ways. And you probably know him best for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And also, he, he wrote down the verse, Deuteronomy 15, 15, in bold letters, and put it over his mantle in his study, where he could not fail to see it, where it reads, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. See, he also wrote, one of the things John Newton wrote was his own inscription for his tombstone. And on his tombstone, it read, John Newton, clerk, once an atheist and seducer, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton never forgot that he was a great sinner who had found even greater mercy and grace in Christ. John Newton never forgot. Paul never forgot. And my prayer is that we would never forget. That there is no sin too great, no evil too wicked that cannot be covered by the grace which is found in the cross of Jesus Christ that we should give glory to God and never forget that Jesus came to save sinners, of which we all can say, I am the foremost. I am the worst of them. That we would believe in him for eternal life. That we would see rightly the gospel in such a way that it would cause us to step into every space, never forgetting that Jesus came to save sinners. Let's pray.